Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. On tonight's episode, we catch up with the members of the Miners and Steamfitters Union, those stalwart men and women whose labour keeps the machinery of Malifaux running. But with Victor Ramos languishing in an earthside prison, leadership at the Union is in question. Not all the arcanists in the Union have the same priorities, and not everyone is loyal to Ironsides. I hope you enjoy part one of A Line Drawn in Fire, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Tapton Street Gollum Works. We make the best metal golems in Malifaux. Our fully autonomous constructs are more than able to lay railroad sleepers or defend rail crews from attacks by a Nephilim. Each golem is proudly made in Malifaux with 100% union labour. Drawn in Fire by Tim Akers Several Years Ago The mechanical straw man hobbled out from behind the blind, its clockwork legs groaning as it scrambled across the open ground. It was dressed like a guildsman, padded leather coat and top hat already charred from their previous attempts. Its face was a paper mask, roughly drawn and leering, almost mocking her. Halfway across the field, the air around the automaton started to shimmer. Waves of heat rose up from the ground, and thin, wispy lines of flame twisted in the path of the stumbling construct. A flare of light blossomed across his chest. There was a puff of smoke, and then flame, and then nothing. The flames died. The air turned cold. Damn it! Harris roared. She hunched her shoulders in concentration. Hands outstretched toward the target dummy. She could feel the flames just out of reach, just beyond her command. The air between her fingers and the dummy hummed with energy, but she couldn't make it answer her call. The moment passed. Frustrated, she kicked at the scrub grass underfoot and stomped back to the fence. Ramos waited, patiently, arms folded, not saying a word. He stayed silent while Karis stormed for a while. When she'd settled down, he lifted a finger and commanded the construct to halt. The ease with which he did this only frustrated Karis further. You could at least pretend it's difficult, Karis snapped. Pretend to put some effort into it. I'm over here sweating blood and you just snap your fingers and the ether jumps to your will. I did not have to snap my fingers any more than you have to wave your hands to make your heart beat or your lungs breathe, he said. 
the old mage pushed off from the fence, dusting the threadbare tails of his coat as he strode toward the target. Stuffing it with straw was a mistake. Any fool can burn straw, so when it didn't leap you got angry, pushed harder. But etheric flame burns steel as easy as batting. If it's so damned easy, why am I struggling? Karis asked. She adjusted the soulstone harness Ramos had made for her, modified from the golden wings she'd stolen from her mistress so long ago. She hated it. It made her feel like a child, dependent on training wheels to ride her bike. Except she still kept falling down. She looked up and saw that Ramos was watching her sternly. She flushed, embarrassed and angry. Well, why? Have you ever drowned, Miss Karis? Ramos asked abruptly. Not to death, of course. But anything is possible on this side of the breach. Have you ever been so deep in water that it squeezes the breath from your lungs, crushing you under its weight? I'm not much of a swimmer, she said. Well, you're doing a hell of a job of drowning. The power is all around you. But rather than swimming in it, you're letting it drag you down. And you keep fiddling with your harness like it's a life preserver. It's not. All that harness does is focus the energy you already command. Without you, it's just a pretty pair of wings. And you're not drowning. He took her by the shoulders, made a few adjustments to the harness, and then pointed her in the direction of the dummy. You're breathing clean air for the first time in your life. The air you were meant to breathe. Stop fighting it. Now. He gave her a little push forward. Show me how you breathe. Kara set her jaw and stared the mechanical man down. Behind her, Ramos muttered a few words and the target dummy lurched forward, already halfway to the blind on the other side of the range. She reached out, twisting her mind into the etheric power that surrounded her pulling it out of the air and into... You're fighting it again. Stop fighting. Release. The flame wants to burn. Let it. She bit back her first response, and the ten other witty retorts that came to mind. The flames roared through her head. She tried to direct them, to turn the dummy into a bonfire, but wherever she pushed, the flames receded. The cold steel of her harness grew uncomfortably warm as the fire in her mind pushed back. There was a moment of fear and anger, a panic that she would be consumed by the very power she was trying to master. The fear passed. The anger passed. Garrus released her will and let the power flow. She inhaled, and as her breath flowed through her, so too did the power, burning like a river of ash. The dummy burst into flames. The cloak, the straw, the hideous paper mask. All of it turned to fire in the blink of an eye. The mechanism underneath, crude skeleton and whirring clockwork, flared bright as the sun before collapsing. The gears screeched mercilessly as they disintegrated. Karis let out a victorious snarl. Ramos' hand came down on her shoulder. Very good, girl. Very good, he said. She felt a different warmth burn in her heart. Pride and the joy of belonging. He dropped his hand. 
Now, let's try something bigger. Present day. Lost in her memories of her mentor, the screwdriver slipped from Kara's hand. Skating along the surface of the harness she was trying to repair, it left a gouge in the metal. One more scratch in the patchwork of battle damage and makeshift repairs the wings had suffered over the years. Still, Kara swore under her breath and threw the screwdriver across the room. Everything okay, boss? Clemens asked. The little man sat hunched in the far corner of the room, going through that week's contact sheets. He'd been a little touchy. Can't imagine why, Karis whispered. She snatched a rag off the counter and started buffing the scratch out of the metal. There was a lot about this harness that she didn't understand, and now with Ramos gone. Boss? Clemens said again. Karis realized he'd been talking for a while. That rag do you some harm, boss. The rag lay smoldering in her palms, sparks trailing up to the ceiling as the oil-soaked cloth hissed and burned. She tossed it onto the floor and ground the flames out with her boot. Then she hefted the harness and strapped it in place, settling the weight of the wings against her shoulders. Clemens watched her nervously. What's next on the list? she asked sharply. He looked down at his stacks, thumbing through the contacts Ramos had left behind. There's a postal facility near the depot. Minimal guard presence, but a massive inconvenience for the Guild Earthside. People like their letters, you know. And the refinery downriver. Not their biggest facility, but the easiest to hit. Another inconvenience, Keris said with a sigh. The sharpest thorn in the tiniest paw. I'm tired of being inconvenient. These are the targets Ramos left us, Clement said. Safe bets while he was out of the office. And now that he's gone... Now that he's gone, we need to be more than inconvenient. We've been idle too long, Clements. It's time to strike back. The whole point of this operation is to keep a low profile, Clements said nervously. If we start hitting the guild too hard, they'll have to come after us. And Tony said, to hell with what she said. Ramos left her in charge, and look where that got him. She turned on her heel and marched to the door. I'm going out, she spat. Clement snapped his mouth shut, then nodded and went back to his sheets. Her little branch of the sprawling MSU apparatus was tucked into the back of a steamfitter's shop, deep in Arcanist territory. The guild rarely came down to these parts, even though all of Malifaux City was theoretically under their jurisdiction. The shop was stuffed to the rafters with cogwork parts, from gears hung on spindles to disassembled boilers stacked up like dinner plates. The narrow building was a treasure trove of mechanical wonders. It had been one of Ramo's personal hideaways before his fame had driven him into hiding, and his quest for power had sent him into the wilds. There were fragments of him all over the place. It was impossible for Keris to get away from her former tutor. Except he's gone, Keris seethed. Gone and not coming back. Unless the guild chose mercy, and that's about as rare as empathy from the Neverborn and twice as untrustworthy. Dozens of Ramos' apprentices watched from the shadows as Keras stalked through the machine shop. They knew better than to interrupt Ramos' favorite student when she had the wings on and that look in her eye. 
Despite this, as she swept toward the door, one of them detached from the shadows and intercepted the fuming Karis. It's not right, Anna, he said. Karis turned slightly in the man's direction. It was Janice, one of the dozens of orphans Ramos had taken in and trained during his time with the Union. Unlike Karis, his loyalty was to the old man first and the MNSU second. Karis caught the anger in his eye. Leave me alone, Janice, she said. I'm working. Working? For that bitch? He jerked a thumb at the poster on the wall, one of thousands plastered throughout Malifaux City and beyond. Tony Ironsides glared down at them in ink-stained defiance. The words Freedom Together, written beneath the Union's new leader. I don't know about you, but my boss is in chains, and it's at Ironside's feet. You work for the Union, Janice, same as me. Names move around. Offices open, offices close. But mugs like you and me, we keep doing our jobs. Bullshit, Janice said. That might be true for most of the schlubs breaking their backs out there, but not for you. Everyone here knows you're the one Ramos wanted in charge. There were murmurs from the shadows. The cadre of apprentices had stopped their work and were watching the conversation with keen attention. Ironsides was just a figurehead, a face to put on posters, keeping the drones in line. You're the leader. You're the one getting things done. And there are some things that need doing. Karis rounded on him, her eyes narrowing. What's that supposed to mean? The old guy needs her help, Anna. Janice put his hand on Karis' shoulder, squeezing tight. He needs us to... Stop calling me that. We're not friends, Janice. We're co-workers. She shrugged him off. Don't mistake one for the other. He raised his hands carefully. Sure thing, sure. I'm just saying... Ramos knew you. He trusted you. He trusted Tony, too, and look where that got him. Karis looked around the room, pinning each of the disgruntled workers with her fiery eyes. I've heard a lot of talk around this shop, ever since Ramos went down. I know some of you are planning to break with the Union, to try to rescue Ramos. I'm saying now, as clearly as I can, that can't happen. You think you'll make it to Vienna? Yeah, you think you can even get on the damn train without being shot? There was some discontent in the shadows, the shuffling of feet. Karis raised her wings and let a halo of flame grace the golden feathers that bristled over her shoulders. The room grew quiet. I'm damn serious, she said. No one goes for Ramos. There were a lot of downturned faces, a lot of grumbling. But no one spoke up. No one but Janice. It's not right, he mumbled. It's just not right. We gotta do something. Oh, I'm going to do something, all right, Karis growled. Soon as I'm done straightening out, you idiots. And what, may I ask, are you going to do? Clemens asked. The bookkeeper was standing just outside the open door of the office his arms folded. He was a small man, but he was union through and through. Under that pressed collar and tiny glasses, there was muscle and a lifetime of back-breaking work. Sometimes his own back, even. I'm going to make sure no one can make that kind of decision ever again, 
Harris said carefully. We trust each other because no one else will. If we can't, we might as well be wearing guild badges and drawing guild pay. That sounds a bit like treason if I'm following, Clemens noted. No, it sounds like a job to do. The kind of job Victor entrusted me with when he left the Union in my hands. She looked around the room. Are we clear? No trouble unless I make it. No trouble, Janice said, holding out his hands. No trouble unless it's you. Right, Keris said. With a final look at Clemens, she swept out the door and into the sky. The rush of wind took her breath away. Even in the clinging muck of Malifaux, flying was a magical experience for Keris. Quite literally. She would never understand the powers that worked through the wings to let her fly, stolen as they were from the guild and her former mistress, but Keris would always be grateful for them. They let her get away from the press of her office and let off a little steam. She circled the city a few times, looking for an opportunity to cause a little havoc. She spotted the perfect target, then sat down at the nearest MSU bar. Who's up for trouble? she asked, as she swept into the darkened room. Every eye turned in her direction. These were off-shift factory workers, trying to relax before the shift whistle brought them back to reality. They looked at her wearily. No offense, lady, but we're on schedule, one of the bigger workers said. He lifted a pint of flat beer. Two down, three to go. Gotta keep up my pace if I'm gonna be in top form for tonight's shift. You're going to miss tonight's shift, she answered. I'm commandeering this crew. You're going to have to see some requisition papers, the man said. Redirection of union assets is a clear violation of our bargaining agreement. He settled back into his chair. Per Article 3 of that agreement. I think you have misunderstood the nature of this conversation, Keris said. Her wings spread wide knocking aside tables and filling the dark bar with scintillating light. You are coming with me. Now. The roads were better in the guild-controlled part of town. The constant clatter that had followed them from the MNSU Union Hall slowed down, then disappeared as the carriage wheels found smooth cobbles and patched streets. But relief from the noise did nothing for the headache growing in Tony's head. The accountant sitting across from her in the carriage adjusted his ledger. That's just this week's numbers, Miss Ironsides. We're running into shortfalls up and down the books. Union dues are stagnating. There are collection issues at the star. Whether that's because they're not officially union dues or some other issue is beyond me. Colette never liked the collection, Tony said. Rainbow's kept her at it, but she's not exactly jumping a heel now that he's gone. We have to find the funds somewhere else. Well, there's not a lot of somewhere else to look, the accountant said. Half the union halls between here and the breach aren't reporting minutes anymore. Some are answering directly to Keris. Overall membership is down. It doesn't help that Keris has gotten a bit wild in Ramos' absence. We're having to pay more for security just to keep the guild from retaliating every time she sticks her golden wings into the air. He paused and looked up at her. 
The numbers are looking bad, ma'am. Numbers don't interest me. Loyalty does. Tony sniffed and stared out the window. The carriage door was barred and heavily reinforced. There had been trouble every time she wandered into Guild space. They'll come around. Karis and Joss both. People like that always do. They just need to burn off some anger. It's not like they're going to join the Guild anytime soon. Perhaps not, he answered. But it needs to be resolved soon. The carriage rattled to a stop. Tony sat there staring out the window, not moving for several long moments, while the rest of her entourage disembarked from their own carriages. Eventually there was a knock. Tony sighed and opened the door. The Tapton Street Golem Works loomed over them. She looked up at it grimly. The ram's head of the guild, two stories high and just as wide, hung in bas-relief on the side of the building sharing space with tattered posters and spattered mud. A steady rain had been pissing down all morning, turning the clouds of ash that hung around the factory into black rivers that ran down the sides of the building and into the streets. The clamour of machinery filled Tony's head with a numbing, constant roar. She could barely hear herself think. Tony's driver saluted smartly. If there's one thing the Guild does well, it's oppressive architecture, the woman said. She was new, handpicked by people Tony trusted after another failed attempt on her life by one of Ramos' misguided loyalists. Tony hadn't yet caught the woman's name. I'll give them that. Stay here and keep the packs of roaming children away from the horses. They had to yell to be heard, even outside the factory. If it gets tense, hassle the factory guards. They're supposed to ensure our safety on this trip. I'll be fine, Mum. The driver said. She had a broad smile and enough knives tucked into her belt to arm a small gang all by herself. I have a way with kids. Tony left her to her duties. Union guards disembarked from their own carriages, the same escort Tony had been forced to maintain for months now. She nodded to her personal detachment, then made her way inside. This was the part of the job Tony hated the most. Actually, she hated all of it. The paperwork, the mistrust, the assassination attempts, the guild's overtures and the arcanist threats, all of it. But on a list of things that she hated very much, making nice with the guild while trying to keep the union's interests in hand was the worst part. But at least it wasn't paperwork. Yet. If Tony thought the factory was loud outside, once she ducked through the canvas-covered doorway and stepped onto the assembly line floor, she was nearly deafened. Massive machines guided troughs of molten steel from steaming crucibles into charred moulds along the walls. Labourers lowered booms and guided presses, communicating to one another with complicated hand signals that seemed more arcane than most of the magic Tony had seen this side of the breach. They wore breathing cowls and hid behind thick welding goggles, so anonymous in their gear that they could have been monsters and Tony wouldn't have known. A few glanced in her direction as she entered, staring at the titular head of the Union before turning back to their jobs. How many of them are loyal to Ramos, she wondered. How many would be happy if I met with an unfortunate accident, even as I negotiate on their behalf? How many even care as long as their checks get cashed and their bellies filled? 
Miss Ironsides, a voice boomed over hidden loudspeakers, cutting through the din of the machinery like bullets through glass. So glad you could join us. I'll be waiting for you at the supervisor's quarters, level eight. Tony looked around, squinting against the bright lights of burning steel and showering sparks. Finally, she saw where the voice had come from. There was an office high above, sealed off from the rest of the factory by guild enforcers and brick walls. A man waved to her from the office window, then disappeared inside. A serpentine staircase wound up to the office door. We'll have to search you for weapons, one said. Lay a hand on me and I'll be picking your teeth out of these walls for weeks to come, Tony answered with a smile. The two men hesitated. Honestly, fellas, if I was here to kill your precious supervisor, I wouldn't really need weapons, would I? The larger of the two guards shrugged and stepped aside. His compatriot, less sure, stared daggers at Tony as she brushed past. At least she knew which side of the fight those two would come down on if it came to blows. Tony liked that kind of clarity. Politics was a game for artists and dilettantes. Tony was a scrapper through and through. Ramos will have his revenge yet, she mused as she climbed the dozens of stairs up to the office. He may be in a guild prison, but I'm trapped in this bullshit. The guild supervisor was waiting at the top of the stairs. He was a weasel-sized man in a rat-sized body. His few remaining strands of hair were plastered to his scalp, and a constellation of scars orbited his left eye. His overcoat was three sizes too large in the shoulders and hung loosely over a frame that was bent and broken. Tony wondered what this man had done prior to his service with the guild. He seemed the sort to scrabble out from under a rock to steal loaves of bread from passing children. As he reached the top of the stairs, he spread his hands wide and peeled his lips back from tiny yellowing teeth in something that might have been a smile. Miss Ironsides, he said. His voice, unaugmented by the factory loudspeakers, was the same timbre as breaking glass. My name is Herman von Ostling, and I'm a supervisor of this facility. I've been anticipating this visit with such eagerness. It is so good we can work together, the Union and the Guild. Like minds, like missions. When I heard that the brilliant Tony Ironsides was going to be personally touring my facility, well, the honour. The honour? Tony asked. This isn't about honour, Osling. My work crews report deplorable conditions on this line. I have... She fished a small notebook out of her pocket and flipped through it. Thirty-five different incidents last month alone. Three workers died simply from exposure to the air in this place. Yes, von Ostling said, nodding placidly. This is a dangerous place to work. Your workers are paid accordingly. If they do not find that to be an acceptable arrangement, they can find work elsewhere. This is a free city, after all. Let's not pretend there's anything free about this city, Supervisor. The guild keeps a heavy hand on everything that comes and goes in this place. Well, it's certainly a more free world than it once was, thanks to you, von Osling purred. His smile galled her. 
If the Guild and Union can work together in such matters, surely we can come to some sort of arrangement here. Tell me. He tipped open a wooden chest on the desk next to him. It was stacked with rolls of Guild coins. How much is your workers' safety worth to you? In round numbers. Tony slid forward, grabbing von Ostling's wrist and pinning it against the desk. Her other hand wrapped up his oversized coat, choking him. She lifted him slightly into the air, so his toes scraped loudly against the floor. I think you may have mistaken me for a traitor, Ostling. I'm not here to collect a bribe or make a concession. I'm here to let you know that your factory is a death trap. And if you don't do something about it, every last one of my people will walk out and leave you to answer to the guild's taskmasters. And they are considerably less forgiving than me. The look on von Osting's face didn't waver. He ducked his head in a formal bow. Ah, a threat. How reassuring. You are quite right, Miss Ironsides. My mistake. May I see your list of complaints? Tony eased him slowly to the floor. Von Ostling clicked the chest of coins shut, then accepted Tony's list and sat at his desk, murmuring. While he was still reviewing it, the door to his office creaked open. One of the guards from outside stuck his head in. Someone here to see the lady, the man said. He looked from Tony to his boss's rumpled coat, then back to Tony. Says it's urgent. Well, I would hate to keep you from important business, Miss Ironsides. Please. Von Osling stood and walked to the door. Feel free to use my office. I'll just review these complaints with my linesmen and... We can pick up this conversation later, Tony said. She snatched the notebook from Von Osling's hands. There were enough details in that book to screw up MNSU operations for a month, should a guild supervisor, even a rat like Von Osling, manage to get hold of it. Whoever it is, I'll meet them outside. Actually, we could use the privacy, Clement said, pushing his way into the office. Von Osling bowed his way out of the room, shutting the door as he went. You know he must have ears in this room, Tony said. She knew that Clemens had done his time in the mines, and on the crew of more than one Arcanist hit squad, but she didn't think espionage was in his blood. You think so? He seemed like the kind of guy who might collect tongues to me, but if you think it's ears, Clemens shrugged. Point is, we need to talk, and out of range of your people. My people? What the hell is that supposed to mean? It means I don't know who you can trust right now. Clemens walked past her to lean against the desk. Karis is making some pretty sharp threats right now. The way she's talking, I think she might be coming after you. Anacelia Carrots can get in line, Tony said. Ever since Ramos went down, half the Union wants me dead or in chains. I'm not going to win any of them back by starting a war with my own people. And believe me, there's nothing the Guild wants more than the Union killing itself to settle a debt. If Karis has a problem, she can come to me directly. Until then, it's just talk. No, it isn't. Tony, the Union isn't going to line up behind you when people like Karis are riding them up. Ramos might have had his own agenda, but at least people did what he said. He kept the Union moving. The more time you let this dissension boil, the worse it's going to get, Clemens said. 
You know the hell made you a political mastermind, Clem. Last I checked, it was your job to make sure our numbers added up, Tony said. Now you're giving me advice on how to run the union? Don't you work in Anna's shop? I work in a union shop, at a union job. I owe the MNSU my life. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't have made the deal you made. He held up his hand to interrupt Tony's protest. It was a good deal, but it's tearing the union apart. And you're right. There's nothing that would make the guild happier than watching the MNSU fall apart around our ears. I'll do anything to keep that from happening, but there are some problems that only you can fix. Tony deflated. He was right, of course. While she had known losing Ramos would be a blow to the Union, she hadn't anticipated how badly some of Ramos' loyalists would react. This had to get fixed, and she was the only one who could fix it. Thanks, Clemens. If Karis or any of the others give you any grief about talking to me, give them that speech. Who knows? Maybe you'll end up in charge of the Union after this whole thing is over. Clemens clapped her on the shoulder. I'd rather die, boss, he said, horribly. Tony laughed, then strode to the door and threw it open. The cacophony of the factory flooded into the room. Von Ostling hurried away from the door, trying to pretend as if he hadn't been trying to listen. Regretting those soundproof doors, Ostling? she cracked. Get in here. Let's settle these complaints so I can get on with my life. I've got important things to do. it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for part two of A Line Drawn in Fire on Tales of Malifaux.